Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to round two coverage of Running It with Nate Sexton. I'm your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the man we've all come to hear, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man? I'm great, Jared. Looking forward to getting this next episode done. Yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm super excited, man. If I was uh, if I was any better, I'd be jealous of myself at this point. The first episode was a lot of fun, and uh, we've had some amazing feedback. Uh, downloads have been coming in. We can't thank you guys enough for uh, for sharing the show, and uh, seems like you guys are really enjoying it. Nate, what kind of feedback have you gotten after the first episode of your podcast debuted? I mean, I think it's been great. People seem excited. Uh, I'm I'm just sort of more curious than anything just to see where the show goes. I feel like we don't even have that great of an idea. Obviously, we have our outline and what we hope it can become. But, you know, with any project like this, it's just kind of like driven by what happens to work and, and what ends up being fun. And that's kind of the thing I'm looking forward to the most. People seem to like it, but I'm just looking forward to see where, where we go and, and what kind of little segments we can get included and, and bring back for people and keep it interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think people have been waiting for you to have a podcast for a long time, and uh, and obviously that was quite evident with all the comments and shares and people that were so excited about it. And uh, I think everybody had a lot of fun. I think we had a lot of fun, and uh, I think we're going to keep this thing rolling here. Um, I just got ready to sit down here, Nate. Let me ask you a question. Your daughter's three years old. Do you guys do the uh, the Elf on the Shelf bit? We don't. I've heard about that. But then I, I read an article a while ago that was kind of like, you know, and no offense to anybody who's deep into the elf, but just that was kind of like, this is sort of contrived and, and it's like a surveillance thing, right? Like it's about the elf is like, oh, watch out that you never know where he is and he's watching you. And the, the article I read was pretty anti-elf. And that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I, I'd never really heard of it before. So that was like my introduction to that. And then I thought, well, this is just kind of like, a tradition somebody made up. If I'm going to make up a tradition, I'll just make up my own. Dude, I don't know who wrote that article, but I, I would like to applaud them because I fell into the Elf on the Shelf trap uh, years ago when it first came out. And now it's uh, it's just getting out of control. We started out with one elf. Now we've got two elves. The elves have a dog. And, uh, and every single night, these elves end up having to do something creative, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's never, that's never fun. It's, it's, it was fun for the first year, but now six years into it, I'm still trying to find creative things. Uh, and it's, uh, they got you. Yeah, they absolutely got me. I'm I'm completely in. and that, you know the kids wake up and they're like, okay, where are the elves and what did they do last night? Oh, look, they drew all over everything with magic marker. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they sure did. They sure did. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what's going on here in the in the beginning of December. Now I know I, I spoke with you this week. You were out playing a little bit of disc golf. Uh, how's the weather been up there in the Pacific Northwest? And uh, have you been getting some rounds in? Last couple of days have been really nice. Uh, I did get to play one uh, good, good fun round recently out at a course called Shelton Springs. That's uh, one of the better ones within like a half hour of where I live. So that was great. Uh, I guess the rain's supposed to be coming back. So that might put the kibosh on some of it. But it's all just about for me right now. It's just about getting my words in the right order to convince Coraline that it's a good day to go play some Frisbee. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw you shared a video not too long ago having her out there playing. Uh, is, is Should we wait for her? Are we going to see her on the tour in like 15 years? I don't know. It'd probably be, she'll probably be, if she sticks with it, I bet she'll be professional quality before she's 18. So you never know. I mean, I think, I hope she will. It'd be fun. I don't know if she'll be a pro or anything, but uh, I hope she'll 
compete and try some tournaments. That'd be so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Playing in the same tournaments as your daughter, that would, uh, that'd be something that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing, uh, another huge recap from our, our first episode, and uh, and I think it's important for this episode as well. Uh, I want to thank our friends over at Fisher Disc Golf. Um, they've really done so much in promoting the show, um, and they've got their little banner that runs while they're doing their their live show, and uh, they've had our, our podcast going right across it, and those guys have just been absolutely awesome and big supporters of the show. And uh, Nate, you had an opportunity to pop in on one of those this week didn't you yeah it's kind of cool i never saw anything like that before where it's kind of like this interactive disc buying experience with like a little bit of like a element of chance where you could maybe win even more stuff than you're than you're purchasing so i was interesting i never heard of anything like that it's cool i mean they kind of took a chance on us and and yeah it was cool to see that banner going across but yeah i jumped in there and left a comment saying thank you as they were doing their live thing and yeah, it's interesting, interesting concept. It looked like people were having fun. That's for sure. Kind of just like winning, winning a little uh, prize, you know, as you're going there and getting some new discs. Yeah, people really love it. Um, it's fun to watch. It's fun to participate in. Um, guys, that's the Fisher Disc Golf Facebook page. Uh, every Tuesday and Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, they do those mystery disc stacks giveaways um, where you go in, you can purchase a pull, and you pick which disc you want out of the stack. So I want the sixth disc in the second stack, and they will pull that out live on the feed, show you exactly what you won. Uh, and like Nate said, there's a uh, there's some discs, or excuse me, some prizes on the back of those. Sometimes they call them chasers, where you get a maybe an extra disc or some kind of uh, a cool giveaway that they do. Those guys are really just doing, uh, they're doing things right over there, and they're making it fun to get discs. You know, a lot of times you just walk into the store, you kind of know exactly where you're going to go. You check a few out, and like you said, this is kind of a a thing of chance where you don't know exactly what you're going to get. But so far, everyone that I've seen's been a, an awesome disc. So guys, that's the Fisher Disc Golf Facebook. Facebook page. Um, and of course, you can still stop over at uh, fisherdiscgolf.com. Uh, over there, you'll find 18 different brands of discs and all sorts of apparel bags. They just released today some Fisher Disc Golf hoodies, uh, which are clutch when you're out there playing in, in the cold. And uh, and we thank them so much for, for sponsoring this show. Yeah. And make sure you use the code they gave us, RUNIT10, to save 10% on your first purchase. Absolutely, guys. So thank you very much from Fisher Disc Golf. Now, Nate, we're going to talk about your amateur career today and so many of the questions that have been pouring into the email and to the Facebook page have been geared around your amateur career and advice that you would give to amateurs. So I thought, you know what? We're going to get right into it, and uh, and we're going to talk about his amateur career and how he came up. Now, before we do that, one of the things that we're going to do each week uh, we've talked about is a disc breakdown, where you're going to talk to us about a disc that you've used throughout your career, or maybe you're using now, and explain a little bit about what it does and why you like it and who it might be good for. And uh, I think we decided we we're going to do it kind of old school this this week, right? Yeah, for sure. And I even I think I even mentioned this specific disc briefly uh, last week because someone asked about aces. But it's the for me, it was the DX Valkyrie and even the champion Valkyrie doesn't really matter. CE Valkyrie. Back in the day, I had those as well. But the Valkyrie in general, Innova Valkyrie. And that's a kind of it was it was like the the best distance driver out when I first started. Now it sort of like falls into kind of like a fairway place or maybe like a a slower speed distance driver. It's a speed nine. And it's uh, it's really nice because 
it's I wouldn't say it's overstable or flippy. It's just kind of like in the middle for drivers, which is a really good place to be if you're only going to have one or you're just trying to learn what disc golf's about to have something that's not really far on either side of the spectrum. And for me, it was like when I I remember, actually, I remember I had a DX Valkyrie with a pumpkin face on it because it was like for the Halloween release. And I remember when I broke the course record of my home course, Willamette Park. At that time, the record was 12 under. And I don't know when this would have been, probably like 2002. And I remember throwing that DX Valkyrie on every tee. So it was like pretty versatile. You know, it's like it it showed it taught me my forehand or helped teach me my forehand and my backhand. It was a disc that was just kind of like an all arounder for me. Obviously, I got my first ace with it. And yeah, just a, a disc that I don't currently bag, but I definitely remember fondly. Like a, the Valkyrie was just like was the driver back when I when I first started out. Yeah, so it, you know, I guess it's probably the Firebird now that you are that you're on the pro. But in the amateur days, the Valkyrie was your was your kind of your Firebird then, huh? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I still throw flippy stuff now. You you need to have that in the bag. I should probably get get a Valkyrie out, man. Maybe one of these Halo Valkyries. Those just came out. I probably should give them another try because I know they feel great in my hand. Uh, it's just it's just funny how how through your whole time as a disc golfer, you know, discs can kind of fall in and out of your bag, and it's not even for any good reason. You're just like, well. I need room for another destroyer because it's really windy today. Pull out that Valkyrie and then it just doesn't get back in for a while, you know? So it wasn't like a conscious thing. Like I'm not going to throw these anymore because this, they just kind of fell out of favor for me. But talking about it so much and reminiscing has got me wanting to try one out again. <laughs> you you don't happen to know anybody over at Innova that might be able to help you out with one of those. Do oh, you? <laughs> I, got, I got a, I got a closet. I got Valkyries. Don't, don't nobody worry about me. I already have them. I don't need to call anybody. They're here. Now, speaking of Innova, uh, you've had a little bit of an announcement that you've made since our last podcast. Isn't that right, Nate? Yeah, really exciting. I was able to extend my contract, and it's not like it's any kind of surprise. I knew I was going to do that. It's just a question of when. But it happened now, and uh, I had one more deal on my, my – or one more year on my deal, and now adding two more on top of that, that keeps me locked in for three more years and getting to serve as team captain, which I honestly count as one of the biggest honors of my whole career to be able to – the captain a big team like like Innova that's kind of like the the promised land uh, when I was coming up thinking about oh being on team Innova what a dream that would be and now to find myself serving as the the captain for that team is is pretty surreal and yeah just huge thanks to them uh, for all the yeah. support they've shown me my my whole professional career well yeah man congratulations on that that was uh, that was great news and yeah absolutely so we're talking about an amateur, Nate Sexton, in today's episode. Um, and I think, you know, well, I know that we've got uh, a lot more amateurs out there listening to this podcast than we do professionals. So um, this is one that myself as a fan uh, of the sport, I'm excited to hear about. Now, what was your introduction to discs? When was the first time Nate Sexton had a disc in his hand? Well, if it's not a disc golf disc, we're talking ultimate disc, it was probably like it was probably going to be measured in months, not years, possibly. Like it was like a little, like a little baby. Uh, I know that my parents played pretty competitive ultimate uh, as when I was a really little kid. And I know that people have told me that I was like throwing forehands before I could really talk or walk that well. So certainly was exposed to Frisbees and discs very, very young. And I remember playing catch and, and playing little, you know, ultimate type games, you know, coming up as a kid and, and even playing disc golf like in the woods on a camping trip where me and my brothers and my my uh, dad and my stepmom would all just have ultimate discs and we would just pick trees for targets and that kind of stuff so 
long before I officially started disc golfing, uh, yeah, definitely already had had some uh, frisbee experience. Isn't that interesting? You started out aiming for trees. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's, it's kind of crazy. Let me ask you this, Nate, and this is something that I, I've always wondered. Do you think that this is a a God-given ability, not just to you, but to any professional? I mean, could you teach me or a typical amateur to step up and throw one 550 off the tee? Probably not. And I mean, I'm going to struggle to get 550, let's be honest. But uh, I think I think of it, the way I think of it is like, of course, you can practice a skill and get a lot better at it. And that's true for every sport, disc golf included. But I think with throwing for distance, form is very important. But at a certain point, it becomes, I think, kind of analogous to like a 100 meter sprint, where it's like, train all you want jared or nate like usain bolt probably going to still have our number even if our form was perfect right like if right. you're running just amazing he's still going to smoke you so it's about fast twitch muscles it's about athleticism at a certain point uh and that isn't to say that some people couldn't be taught to throw 550 but it's kind of, that's a more rare uh body type and muscle composition in my opinion to have the kind of speed that it takes to, to propel a disc that far. And that's borne out even in the pros. I mean, there really aren't even that many pros that consistently hit 550. That's a big time throw. Yeah, that's a, that is a huge throw. I, I'll tell you, and when I was introduced to the sport and I, I watched some of the pros and I saw these guys walking up and you guys were just ripping these discs and I'm like, I'm bigger and stronger than all of these guys. There's no way I can't. And then I went out there and I reared back and I ripped one dude and you should have seen it. It probably went like 66 feet. <laughs> um, and I went, Oh my God, these, this is, you know, this is a serious athletic competition. These are professional athletes. And, uh, and after watching, um, you know, enough pro tours and, and getting comfortable with watching it, I realized that. Um, we're, you and I aren't playing the same sport We're I'm, do, I'm doing something completely different than what you're doing out there. And, uh, and that is very evident in watching it. So you started out with ultimate, when did disc golf become something that you really started doing? There had to be a point where you were just decided that, you know, you got out there, you played once and you thought I'm going to do this again tomorrow. And that just kept going. Yeah, that was around 2000. I, I would have been like 14 or 15. Uh, and I remember that the course went in, in my hometown, the course called Willamette park, it got installed in sometime late in 1999. And it was the same park that we often played ultimate at. So then we kind of, we like knew disc golf was a thing. I remember playing on some baskets in like maybe the sixth grade. We had this thing called outdoor school where you would like go and spend like a week at a camp basically. And they had disc golf there. And I remember being, you know, I was already like the Frisbee kid. So I was like, oh, I really want to try this. And I remember having fun with that. But probably around age 14 or 15 was when I like started buying some discs. And um, I actually remember kind of bringing it back to that Valkyrie thing. I remember we'll get to this kind of thing. But going going to my first tournaments, I can remember we would be like going as a family, like in a camping trip to go to a tournament or something. Basically, it would feel like a camping trip because we'd go and camp and play the tournament for the weekend and come back. And I remember there was a time where I would be like on the way out of town. I'd be like, hey, dad, we need to go stop by the shop so I can get uh, Juliana Corver Valkyrie, a brand new one. And that's going to be my workhorse for the tournament. And so I would like 
go to the store on the way out of town, scoop up a new Valkyrie, and just throw that all weekend. That's awesome. That I, I certainly, uh, you know, it, turning these tournaments into kind of a little family trip, and and now you're doing it as a professional. We talked about it last week, bringing bringing your wife and daughter out, and that's kind of how it all started. So it all kind of came full circle for you. At what point when you were out there and you were playing in these these amateur tours and or excuse me, these amateur tournaments and you had an opportunity to to start to get some wins in, at what point did you start to realize, man, I I'm better than a lot of these guys? <laughs> I, I think I, I I was probably a little lucky, but I actually won my very first tournament. Uh it was in like the novice division. There was maybe like 10 or 15 people in it. Yeah, of course and, you did. And I remember winning the first one and be like, Hey, this is cool. I got some free stuff. And <laughs> you know, then it, it wasn't like I won them all, but yeah, I won that first one and that gave me a, a, a nice taste to, to, of what that felt like and just having fun and competing. And yeah, then I just kind of, you know, it wasn't like I was playing every weekend or anything. You could go see the stats. I, w- I would guess I was probably averaging like five or six tournaments a year at the beginning. It was just kind of in the summer when when my family was, uh, you know, kids are on summer vacation and, and we would go a couple hours here or there to, to try a new course. And my parents were also playing in the tournaments. But yeah, I I got I got good pretty quick. I, my hometown, Corvallis. There, I wouldn't say there were any. There was nobody playing pro in the professional division uh, when I was coming up. So, my memory would say I, I got to be the best player in town within like a a, a year or two of when I started, and uh, something like that. And um, and then I was you know going out of town trying to find better players or somebody. I would see somebody throw and blow my mind. You know, I remember. A really formative experience for me was going to a Scott Stokely clinic. And for those who don't know who Scott Stokely is, he's like a from the maybe late 80s and in through the 90s, um, one of the best pros in the world and, and a distance record holder and a what, the first guy probably to come out and just absolutely smash forehands. And he was throwing forehands before a lot. That was kind of an in vogue thing to do. So he was a, a really incredible player. And he did a clinic in my hometown in 2001. And I remember going to that. And that was the first time I ever saw anybody like do the X step. First time I ever saw a disc go 400 and even 500 feet. Probably I'd never even seen 400. And he came and was ripping 500. So that was mind blowing to me. And I remember just like, sell me whatever disc you want to sell me right now. Like I got to, <laughs> I got to have what you've got and uh, you know, or whatever it is and trying to learn and, and that, I remember that being a, a moment where I was like, oh, I need to start practicing because ha- look how fun that is, like to throw it that far. I just didn't even know that was possible because you got to think this. there was no YouTube, right? I'm not like getting any exposure to the professional game. I didn't even really know it existed that much. But yeah, really lucky. I got, I've, I've, I've thanked Scott before when I've seen him and I'll thank him again here for coming to my, coming to my town and inspiring me all those years ago. That was one of the things I, I was going to actually ask you. Um, you know, obviously there was no YouTube then and watching disc golf on TV wasn't a thing. Was there a, a mentor or somebody that was showing you how to get the proper form down and, and how you should be standing and how you should be throwing? Or was it just you doing it so much you figured out what worked? I would say the latter more, uh, you know, my dad and I were competitive for a while when we first started it, but it wasn't like we, I don't really remember it as a thing where it was like giving me form advice. We were both just kind of figuring out as we went aside from that clinic with Scott and sort of seeing some techniques. Uh, I don't feel like I really had people teaching me again, uh, in a real direct way for a couple more years. So 
I was um, kind of just out there playing. You know, I was in high school, just driving to the course all the time and uh, and playing with my buddies, and we were just playing a ton. And I think that was more it than than anything. I definitely wasn't taking any lessons or anything. I remember you say watching on TV. We I, I remember getting a VHS of the 2001 World Championships as like a Christmas present, and and popping that in, watching some uh, some professionals in, through that medium. All right, so you're in high school, you're playing a ton of disc golf, you're really starting to get a good feel for it, you won your first tournament, but you're still heading off to college. If Nate Sexton would have just stopped playing disc golf, what was your other plan? What do you think you'd be doing right now? What did you want to do? Uh, I don't know that I had a great idea then. You know, I was just a young kid. I would say when I started college, I was still definitely more identifying as an ultimate player than a disc golfer. So I was like going to try out for the competitive team at Oregon State University, ended up making that and traveling, traveling the country with my teammates a little bit, competing in, in on the intercollegiate level. So I did that first. Um, my degree ended up being environmental science. Uh, my parents, you know, both worked at Oregon State University and did sort of like forestry research. And I kind of saw myself going a similar direction. Um, and then later on, I was sort of like going down the path of becoming perhaps like a high school science teacher or something. I did a, like a 100 hour, um, like student teaching thing where I was like in the high school classroom and like an assistant to the teacher as like one of my college classes. So that was another thing I was sort of like thinking about. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say, you know, I think, I think it would have been something kind of in the life sciences, ecology, biology type based thing that that that's kind of where my interests lie back then. And, and what I was focusing on, uh, when I was in college. I just, I can't imagine a disc golf world without you. I don't think anybody else can. So I'm, I'm happy that this is the way that it worked out. Me um, too. I mean, it's way more fun to be honest. I mean, that stuff's interesting too, but, but man, I mean, even then I was more, I was more passionate about throwing discs than I was about working hard in class. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that it, that it worked out this way because it's been a wild ride. I'm, I'm looking forward to more as well. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot more. Now, in 2003, I believe it was, uh, you had a pretty big tournament win. Was that when you realized, I'm going to do this for a long time? I don't know. I knew I was getting pretty good. I, that, you're, you're referring to the 2003 Junior World Championships, which I ended up winning. I, tra I had just graduated high school, so I, was, I think I was 18. It was the under-19 division. My dad and I flew to... Flew from Portland, Oregon to Detroit, and we rented a car and drove uh, to where the tournament was in London, Ontario, Canada. And I remember it was a weird thing because it was the first time, I, as far as I know, that the Junior Worlds had been like a standalone tournament. There wasn't like an Amateur Worlds with hundreds of people. It was like 30 kids. And that was about it uh, in sort of a small town. And I remember it really fondly. I mean, my dad and I were camping out up there and... Uh, playing all these courses and I didn't really know what to expect going in. I knew I had a, a pretty high rating compared to the other guys. I was like maybe the second or third highest rated player if my memory serves. It's, it's been quite a few years at this point, but yeah. And then I ended up winning by a pretty fair margin, like 10 or 10 or 12 or something, I think. And uh, yeah, get, you know, then I was world champion and that was pretty surprising and cool to me to be like, wow. Okay. Like, and I think I, I think I did one more year in the amateur because I wanted to play the amateur worlds, or I guess I did about half a year because the amateur worlds is in the summer. 
And then, yeah, 2004, I, I took fourth place at the Amateur World, ended up making that final nine in like a big field of like 200 and something people. And then I went pro after that. So, yeah, it was, uh, I definitely was starting to, to know at that point, I probably knew I would eventually go pro. I knew I had the skills to go pro. But going pro in disc golf is a, it doesn't necessarily mean touring, right? It could be like more weekend warrior and you're just the best guy in town. There's so many guys like that. Uh, but fortunately, you know, I was able to, to find my way to, to playing full time eventually. Yeah. And, and doing it at a, uh, at an incredible rate, um, you know, constantly rated in that top 10, um, you know, you, you got pretty good at what you do. Nate, <laughs> let me ask you, is it something about that Northern air, man? You're the, you're the Washington state champion right now. You were the 2018 and 2019 winner up in Canada. You won your world juniors in Canada. Do you, is it, does your disc just go different in that Northern air for you? Or is this just coincidence, man? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, mean, I hope that, I, mean, I hope so. I, I did go try to play in Alaska and I got third. So that might, that might throw a wrench in that. And I've done a few <laughs> tournaments in Finland and I haven't won those either. And those, those European opens that, that, that Macbeth guy has been a real thorn in my side over there. But yeah, yeah, but but you got him in Canada. That's true. You, you, That's true. You've always got Canada. That's true. Um, so you decide that you're going to turn pro. Talk to me a little bit about what what's your family thinking when you're like, yeah, hey, um, you know, you guys all thought I was going to be a teacher, but I'm going to ride around in an RV with the guys and throw discs for a living. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like it wasn't that black and white where it's like it's like I'm going to start playing pro, right? But it wasn't like I'm on tour now, mom. You know, I was still like, <laughs> I was still like just traveling locally. And, uh, you know, Dave Felberg and Avery Jenkins moved to Oregon. They're, you know, two pretty legendary players at this point. Uh, they moved to Oregon to attend the University of Oregon. So they were my arch rivals. They were ducks and I'm a beaver, oh. but uh, just like 45 minutes away. So I, I met those guys. I was able to, they were team Innova players. I was able to see them, you know, they're playing at a world-class level, compete with them a little bit end up beating them a couple times and uh and you know then i then i knew i had what it took to be at the top level because i was i knew i was beating great players or at least hanging tough if i wasn't if i wasn't beating them i was coming close so those guys were nice and and that's kind of that's kind of like the what i was alluding to when i said that the next time people were really like teaching me things i feel like it was those two guys because they were speaking from a place of authority and and they i knew that they knew what they were talking about and they'd been out there on the tour and so I really looked up to those guys and listened to what they had to say and, and tried to make some changes to my form or whatever they, they were suggesting to me way back then. But yeah, it, it certainly wasn't like, hey, mom, college is over. You know, I still finished my degree. I was doing it kind of part time and, and uh, you know, taking a spring term off here and there to play a couple more tournaments. And I can remember just like winning a couple hundred bucks and being like, oh, my gosh, like I just paid my rent at a disc golf tournament. This is crazy. That's about like when I started going like, you know, ultimate's cool and all, but like nobody ever pays me. So <laughs> maybe I should play more disc golf because this is sweet. I'm like, you know, making my rent money out here, having fun on the weekends. And, and it just kind of snowballed from there. 
making a couple hundred bucks playing in a disc golf tournament is uh, is pretty sweet. Like you said, being able to pay your rent and yeah. and do that. So it was like you know doing something that you really like doing, but you're you're getting paid to do it. That's something that I think uh, many of us envy that are that are going to be listening to this right now because a lot of us you know we just spend a lot of money playing disc golf and people are like, what are you talking about? It's free. And I'm like, yeah, except for the four that you dropped in the drink. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it wasn't quite as free after that. Um, and I had a little bit of that going on this weekend, unfortunately. Now, I while I was doing some research on your amateur career, I saw that Nate Sexton uh, played at and won a tournament at what I guess me and my buddies would consider our home course, and that is uh, Chestnut Ridge Park in Orchard Park, New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. Got any memories from, from playing at that tournament? Yeah, I want to say that was right before that amateur world championship in 2004 in Des Moines, maybe. I feel like my, my grandparents live in, lived in Tonawanda. My grandma's still alive. My grandpa has passed on. But I was there visiting them uh, with, my, with my mom. And I remember playing, just like looking it up. And like, oh, there's a tournament. My brother and I competed there at that Chestnut Ridge. And I remember it was kind of like a... It's like a toboggan hill or something, isn't it? In the, yeah, the, in the yep, the first hole. The first hole is the toboggan hill. Yeah, so I remember that. And I remember it had all these ravines. I remember my brother like falling down a ravine while we were practicing and kind of getting scuffed up a little bit. Uh, and it was a treacherous course. I remember it was like a lot of woods and a little creek running through there. Yeah, it's rough, man. Yeah, and I remember, yeah, I won. And then I think we took a train, like my brother and I, just us. And I remember that being kind of a crazy thing. Like we had a layover in Chicago and I remember we like dragged all our luggage to like the closest park we could find and threw some ultimate discs back and forth, like in downtown Chicago while we waited for the next train. And then, uh, yeah, got over to Des Moines where then my dad and stepmom had driven all the way from Oregon to Des Moines and they picked us up from the train station. We went and played the world championships. And then we drove home with them all the way back to, back to Oregon. So it was kind of a planes, trains and automobiles situation. Well, Nate, I'll tell you what, I also live in Tonawanda, New York. So if uh, if your grandpa needs any sh- uh, snow shoveled or anything like that, you, you just let me know, man. I'll, I'll right, send yeah, someone cool, I'll send cool. someone over there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I'll get someone over there. Don't you worry. About it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny because just a little disclosure here. In the first episode, um, I, I had a little fun with, uh, with one of my favorite disc golf partners and, uh, my son's godfather. And I said, you know, Anthony D'Amico's never had an ace and I've gotten a lot of trouble from that. So I want you to make the call on this, Nate. Um, he claims to have an ace when none of us were there, right? So I asked him, <laughs> where, where's the disc? And did you have the guys from your round sign it? He said, I don't remember what disc it was. Nobody signed it and it was a skip and it went in so what do you think man you, you think this is you think this a story is real and do we even count a skip oh you gotta count a skip a skip is actually kind of a pro play I, I give a lot of credit to a skip because that thing's coming in appropriate speed it's not gonna go 50 long the skip is a, a respectable move but i mean he knows what hole it was on right he's not like it this didn't come to him in a dream or something uh, he claims, you know, a uh, whole five at some course in Colorado. And of course, none of us were there playing with him and no disc, no signature. I don't count it. He doesn't have an ace and <laughs> until I see it. I don't count it. But the thing that made it so funny is, is he, we play chestnut a lot and he's really good. And he's also a forehand player, um, almost predominantly. And, uh, and after we got done the round and I think he shot like one under actually that day, he said, uh, your next podcast, you tell Nate Sexton right here in Chestnut Ridge that he could beat me anywhere in the world, but I'm not losing at Chestnut Ridge. 
And uh, I said, yeah, man, he's, he's already played a tournament here and won. And his face just kind of dropped. Are you, are you, are you serious? Now he, he realizes that he can't really beat you, but he was hoping that if there was any chance in the world that it was going to be a course you never saw before out in the middle of the woods and, uh, and he would have you there, but that's, that's not going to happen because oddly enough, you have a, uh, you have a win at that course. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I probably, I can probably take them. We'll see. I mean, hopefully, right. I mean, I would, I would hope so. after all. It yeah. I, I would, I would, I would hope so. And, uh, so, well, if you're ever back visiting in this area, if, if this COVID thing ever settles down, maybe we'll get you out of Chestnut Ridge and, uh, and maybe he can get a chance. A little grudge match, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I wish him, I wish him luck for it. Um, so you're, you're out there, you're playing these amateur tournaments. You're, you're having a lot of fun. Uh, give me, what is one memory that sticks out? One tournament anything from your amateur career that you just thought, wow, this is, this is a lot of fun, man. This is, this is something that I'm going to do. Oh my gosh. There's so many. Uh, it's, it's honestly, it's hard for me to remember. I, I think whether I was amateur or new and pro, like it all kind of bleeds together. But the first one that came into my mind was, I'm, I'm almost sure I was an amateur at this moment, but just, it was just like one, it's just one amazing shot. that's just stuck with me where I was on a, a whole, um, at a course called Whistler's Bend, which I mentioned last podcast saying it was my favorite course. And it, it's probably like 460 feet, maybe slightly uphill. And I had, I had just kind of like added the roller to my arsenal. And I remember rolling a kind of like a sky blue champion T-bird. I don't know why it sticks in my head so clearly, but parked the thing. And I remember just like after the round, just like, where's my dad? I got like, I can't even believe I got a two on this, like the 460 feet, you know? And I, that just, yeah, that kind of thing. And I mean, I've got so many of those. It's just like, which one popped into my head at what, what moment, but, but yeah, just one shot where it was like, I didn't think I could, I didn't know I could do that. And then all of a sudden you, you're getting this like tap in birdie on a hole that you didn't even know you could, could throw it that far in a tournament and just, just feeling as feeling on top of the world. And that, you know, that's, I've had that feeling. I've been lucky to have that feeling so many times in my life. And it, that's what kind of keeps you coming back. Like, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's just a thrill to be able to, you know, uh, make that to achieve that or to dream that up and then see it become real as you like imagine this shot and then you just throw it perfectly. I had like five crazy rollers this weekend in, in my four rounds. Uh, none of them I threw on purpose, but <laughs> n- nonetheless, uh, you know, the, the famous, the famous throwers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those aren't technically and, rollers. Those are throwers is what I was going to say. If you didn't mean to do it, it's not a roller. It's a thrower. Right. Right. Yeah. Now the thing is, is, you know, my buddies aren't all the sharpest. So, you know, a couple of them worked out and they're like, dude, you just throw a roller there. And I'm like, Yeah. Of course, yeah. Definitely. Obviously, didn't you didn't you see it rolling right in the right direction? It's yeah, it's park, clearly what it? I was clearly what I was trying to do. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's in fact we got a uh, we got a message on the Facebook page from one of the chumps um, that played out in Las Vegas and and was talking about how he was lucky enough to be uh, ragged by you a little bit, and I immediately answered back and I said, dude. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've watched every single champs versus chumps. Nate calls it right down the middle and uh, <laughs> his, his, his journalistic integrity will not be questioned in this inbox. Okay. There's no favoritism at all towards the champs yeah. and uh, right. You know, it's, you're there, you're there to call a game and that's, and that's exactly what you do. For sure. Um, 
Yeah. So now I'm sure you get a ton of questions like this from different amateurs. And the one question that just kept popping up, so I can't even give any one person credit for it. If you're going to give any amateur, someone that's starting out one disc to put in their hand to throw, uh, what would it be? Is it the Valkyrie that we talked about earlier? No, if you only get one, I'm going to give you that R pro dart and people that follow me know that that's a disc that I really like. And it's a, it's a putter. It's a pretty neutral flyer. It's got a little bit of overstability to it. And that R pro plastic is a little bit soft. And the reason that matters is because I want you to play catch with it. I don't want you to go necessarily straight to the course and, uh, and be throwing it. I mean, I do want you to use it on the course as well, but I want you to warm up whoever you play with, warm up with the hundred foot catch back and forth and try to put some anhyzer on it, shape it this way, hyzer this way, straight shot, forehand, everything. Because I think so many people who don't come from a Frisbee background like I did, they'll get into disc golf and they and they don't have a lot of experience throwing a disc. And you can kind of like, the disc technology is so good, you can get by without ever learning any kind of touch. And you can throw it, just kind of hork it out there and have the disc figure it out and go to the left like you want it or go to the right like you want it. And you can get pretty good, but you can never get really good. So if really good is in your plans, you got to learn that touch part of the game. And I think the dart is a fantastic disc for that, not only because of how it flies, but then that softer plastic blend is nice for playing catch because it's not going to sting your hands too bad. Do you ever call it froth? I do not. What do you, how do you feel about that term? I don't, I don't have a, a super strong reaction <laughs> to it, to be totally, totally honest. If you want to call it that, it's okay with me. I'm not going to throw a big fit. I definitely am not one of those guys who gets on you for like, these aren't frisbees they're discs i use those terms interchangeably so they're all frisbees to me or discs it doesn't matter they're just circles but yeah i I have not i have not been out there uh throwing around froth i've never used that term in a in a non-sarcastic setting (laughs) exactly um i'll never forget the episode of the simpsons where they they had to refer to it as a novelty flying disc because um, they said that they couldn't get the rights to the word Frisbee. Yeah. Um, so, of course, they, they said it anyway, but they, they continued to refer to it as a novelty flying disc. And that's kind of what it became in my head all the way up until I found and discovered uh, disc golf. And now I, I'm, I get on the guys when they say froth. I'm like, just stop. The froth. Okay. I don't it just, just stop it. Um, but you know, I guess, Hey, you're a pro, you're the expert here. So if it doesn't bother you, maybe it shouldn't bother me. <laughs> One of the things that I think a lot of amateurs have trouble with, uh, I know that I do myself is, and was getting down putting and it was getting a feel for it and, you know, learning how to give it that whip right in rather than play it on a, on a hyzer or on an angle. And, you know, obviously coming from ultimate, you were used to, to putting a little whip on the disc was putting something that was easy to adjust to for you. No, not especially. I don't think putting is, is really different than throwing. They're not the same thing. So it's a different way of propelling the disc forward and it takes time to get, to get it down. And, you know, I, I still wouldn't say I have it down exactly. You know, I still miss plenty of putts. Everybody does, but, uh, you know, that's what makes it a lifelong sport is you never really like perfect anything about it. But yeah, I think, uh, putting is tricky. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice. <laughs> that it certainly does. Now for the amateurs that are listening today who might want to get some practice on their putting and they're are looking for a way to, to up their putting game. Uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and recommend our friends over at disc.usa. Nate, 
I met uh, Rick online uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, and him and his wife started this company uh, just actually a few months ago. Um, they had a design company for a few years. It was really quite successful, and then COVID hit. All their contracts dried up, and uh, they said, hey, we got some more time to, to focus on disc golf, something that they both really loved. And they came up with this awesome invention. He's got the patent on the mold, and it's these awesome little dots that you click right onto the chain of your basket and it really gives you something to focus on as you're getting in there and you're laying those putts out and um, since he started it's now in 20 different retail locations it's available on a lot of the big uh, uh, online retailers in fact uh, our friends over at Fisher Disc Golf is going to be carrying disc that real soon is this something that you see being beneficial to, to help out somebody that's that's learning to putt and trying to figure out where to get that disc to land? Yeah, sure. And, and it's not like it's some complicated thing, right? I mean, it's like a little ball that clips into the chains. It's nothing like it's not revolutionary, but it's a great idea because it's like this thing. It's a it's all about that aim small, miss small idea. So it's like having this little bright colored thing in the basket to let you key in on the certain area, whatever quadrant you're aiming for. If you want it a little high right or whatever you think is the best catching spot or what you want to try to repeat, or you just put in the middle, that's fine. But just kind of keying in on that spot and it gives you feedback. Like it's one thing to be like, yeah, I made six putts, but to know like if you're hitting right where you're actually aiming, that takes like a, a presence of mind. That's uh, sometimes easy to lose as you're just out there getting in reps and something like disc dot is going to let you like, really key in on that little pink ball right in the middle of the basket and when you hit it you're going to know right it's going to be like right in there right in the middle in a spot where it's never going to spit or hopefully never and just like a, a a truly perfect putt so i think i think it's a cool idea and i i actually you know when i'm putting especially when i get outside the circle i tend to like i like to try to like pick a link and then I'll almost like let my eyes blur, you know, where I don't blink and I'll let my eyes kind of blur to sort of take all the distractions out of it. And I feel like this would be good for that, too, because you just like key in on that color, trust your stroke, trust your muscle memory and uh, and, you know, hopefully get it in there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and Rick and Natasha have been supporters of our show. They've been sharing everything around. And uh, guys, check out disc.usa.com. Um, they've also got a new distance uh, uh, marker out there that they're pushing out. Um, but they're really doing some amazing things. And these disc dots, they've had amazing reviews. Um, they've got over 500 reviews, um, all four stars right across the board. He's got three different kinds of dots uh, that he's using there. And uh, just really an awesome, an awesome group and a really a great idea and looking at these things. In fact, I've got mine on the way and I can't wait to start using them. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And another really neat thing, Nate, um, that they do is each month, Rick and Natasha pick a different charity that they are going to donate a portion of their sales to. So uh, in October, they did uh, breast cancer awareness. November was Feed America. Um, the Veterans Foundation and March of Dimes they've done business with. Uh, and this December, they're going to bring it home. They're going to be given back to the disc golf community and they're uh, donating to disc golf worldwide. Um, so every sale that they've made since they've been in business, a portion of it has been donated to a charity. Uh, they're really just great people. And uh, the fact of the matter is, 
is they've got a product that that's going to help you uh, zone in and, and get those putts into the basket. So um, I certainly thank them for all that they've done for us. And uh, they've also uh, given us a little special discount out there for all of our listeners. So you guys visit uh, disc.usa.com. And uh, Nate, what's the code? We keep it simple for you guys. It's run at 10. Again, it just get you 10% off on that, uh, on that first order. Absolutely. That's although I really like hanging out on these chats and, and talking and getting all this out. But the, the coolest part for me so far on this podcast has been, you've gotten me discounts at fisherdiscgolf.com and now you've got me a discount here at disc.usa. This is working out pretty nice for my bag. You're you're never gonna you're never gonna pay hundred percent price again, Jared. You, I got you now. You're a ninety percent of price guy. You're getting those ten percent <laughs> discounts. You're in the club. That's right. You know what? And I'm using one hundred and ten percent of the course because my discs are going all over it. So not for um, long, man. Not for long. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know, you just get out there and and you keep playing and, and doing what you got to do. And um, I've been having a lot of fun actually. I've been playing in the cold, which is not something that I've ever done before. I used to be the guy that was like, oh, it's not it's fifty degrees. All right, disc golf's done now. Um, but I've been getting out there and playing a little bit in the cold. How much has that changed the plastic? It definitely makes the discs a little harder, and I think a little slicker. So it can be harder on your grip. I think the key for me to having fun in inclement weather is just preparedness and like having the right clothes because if my hand can stay warm and stay dry i can have fun if my hand is freezing cold and wet i'm leaving like it's not i'm not going to be able to have fun because i'm just going to be shanking it everywhere but if i can get my discs dry my hand dry and keep my hand warm i can play in any conditions really and you know it might be difficult and i might score poorly but i can still have fun if i'm if i can you know at least interact with the disc in my hand and and sort of aim it where i want to and I'm definitely a, a big believer, you know, once a year or maybe once every two years, it's a big pack. But that Costco pack of hand warmers, I'm buying that. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of those in my bag all the time because if uh, I don't want to have to drive home, I just drove all of the course. I'm trying to have fun. And if it gets freezing cold, I got to have a hand warmer to keep my just keep my hand warm enough to open when I need it to open and close tight when I need it to close tight. Because you know how it is when your hand gets cold and you can't really quite control it anymore. That's going to be a long day. And everything hurts coming off the fingertips. Yeah, I know. I know exactly how that feels. Um, and again, I'm in Buffalo, New York, so it's it's going to get a whole lot colder here. Uh, but yeah. I'm going to keep getting out there, and, and I'm going to keep playing. And uh, and there's been a lot of people out of the courses, so that's been that's been really pretty cool as well. So I got to ask you, Nate. You're everyone knows you're a family man. You're married. You've got a cute little daughter. When you met your wife. Um, were you were you still thinking about becoming a teacher or were you all in on being a disc golfer was she uh how'd that come about and how did you explain to her that you throw frisbees for a living well i'm she's been she's been here for the whole ride it's a it's a neither is the answer because we actually met in high school so i was uh you know just a kid and we and we went to a couple school dances and stuff and then you know i remember we kind of got together like right around after i graduated she's one year younger but I was still staying at home for uh, college and everything. We just lived a couple blocks apart. So, you know, I remember bringing her disc golfing, like on like a quote unquote date. And she still tells the story sometimes that she was like excited to go, but like super uh, anxious about like, what does somebody even wear for disc golfing? What even is this? <laughs> and trying to decide, you know, what to even wear to go out there. But I remember bringing her. And then here's the real shocker is that if you check the, 2005 junior world championship results 
she's got herself a, a junior world championship too because she she got out there playing and I was bringing her to tournaments and uh, she came with my family down to Flagstaff, Arizona. I was already pro, so I was just kind of hanging out and caddying. And, uh, you know, there's a couple cool stories from this one because she ended up winning. It was just her versus one other girl. So it was like a pretty small thing, you know, but still world champion, whatever. So she 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 has that title. But the, another really funny thing is the very first round of that tournament in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm a brand new pro thinking I'm the coolest guy in the world because I'm at the amateur world championships, but I'm too good to play. And I'm just kind of walking around being a big guy. And that first round, it was my wife and this other girl she was competing against. And then this little boy from the under 15 division uh, in their group, just three people. Uh, you want to take a guess who that young that young man was? Um, who was it, Nate? Playing in his first tournament of his life at the World Championships, none other than Paul Macbeth. Oh, I was I was gonna get to that. That's uh, that's pretty crazy, huh? It was pretty weird, and yeah. So te- he'll he'll tell you I'm the first pro he ever met. Uh, you know, and then it, and then things came full circle. You know, I remember traveling with him, and we were actually driving through Flagstaff in the middle of the night uh, on my thirtieth birthday. And I remember being like, hey, man, remember that Remember that way back when, when you were only 15 and we met here? And yeah, and, you know, I remember I was like kind of giving him some tips because it was literally his first tournament he'd ever played. Somebody just was like, hey, you're a good kid. Come, he was in L.A. and like, come here, come try the world championships. Wow. It, worked, it worked out all right for him. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's going to be OK from from that from this disc golf career that he made. That was one of the things I was going to ask you. Now, I know you'd mentioned a few, but um, any of the guys that were on the tour now, were they kind of coming up around the same time? Or were you keeping an eye on these amateurs? Is that something that even happens in, in disc golf? Or are you watching what other amateurs are doing? And would there be any names that we would recognize? Like when I was an amateur, you're saying? Yeah. Um. Gosh, I mean, yes, they're. Definitely were, were guys coming up at the same time. I would say uh, at that same world championships where Macbeth was, I know that uh, Devin Owens was there. I think he may have won. James Conrad was there. Paul Uliberry was there, all playing in the junior divisions, uh, competing against like my brother. Um, but yeah, tons of guys. I mean, it, everybody who's close to my age was most likely uh, competing, you know, when they were pretty young. Not that many people at the very top of the game are like, Oh, I've just been playing five years. It's mostly like kind of lifers, you know, I was watching, uh, I was watching a tournament just the other day uh, on YouTube. I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet, or, or maybe you've already seen it before, but it was the, the 1997 world championships. Nice. And uh, yeah, man, there were some, uh, there was a lot of jorts. There was a lot of jean shorts <laughs> going on in that in that unit. But uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see how much the game has has developed. And you know what? It's really not that much different. Um, but it seems like guys are throwing it a whole lot farther now. Do you accredit that to just people playing more and and learning a better form and a better technique to to really get it out there? Have the discs developed that much? What do you think that is? Definitely the discs have changed a lot, but I, I think with the change of the discs has come a change in the form too, you know, to, to optimize the new technology discs. I think that people are moving their bodies in different ways and getting more speed behind the disc, even though there were some incredible power throwers back then as well, but they were playing with like a T-bird, you know, so it's a, a totally different animal than a, a boss or something where you're really able to get a ton of speed and it's going to carry speed well into the flight and not slow down that much with that really wide wing so it's all of the above i mean i think there's 
there's superior form and maybe some superior athletes in the game now. Uh, but I, but I don't want to discount how incredible those guys were and still are uh, in large part, the guys that were at the top of the game, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, th- those guys were still out there and they were doing it, man. They were, they were throwing those discs uh, and, but it just did the form look different. And, uh, but you know what? They were still scoring. It, it wasn't, you know, the, it was still very impressive and, uh, you know, better than I'm ever going to be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. okay, guys, we've gotten so many of your questions and, uh, and we want you to keep sending them and I'm going to try to get to as many as I can, um, each week. Um, but I, I don't think we're ever going to be able to answer all of them. But Nate, we had some questions specifically geared towards not necessarily so much just your amateur career, but advice that you would give to some amateurs. Uh, you ready to take some fan questions? Let's run it, Jay. Can I call all you right. Jay? Yeah, man. Of course you can. <laughs> I'm just all right. to sound cool, you know podcast you, you don't have to sound cool you are cool there, well, do you realize hurt. it doesn't hurt to sound a little cool you know what i'm saying jay yeah no i got it i got yeah, it do bring you know, it on people people are out there sharing a poem that you wrote all over <laughs> i mean that's and that that's for a whole nother day but um you know i haven't i, I checked i haven't found any macbeth poems anywhere but not, <laughs> those, are, not, those are hard to get yeah, I'm not looking to start any heat. I'm just saying that you're out there throwing down these 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 wonderful <laughs> lyrics and rhymes and uh, and what you're doing on the course. Now we've got a, a ton of emails into uh, 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 the the account for the show, and uh, the first one is going to come from Joe. And uh, Joe asks, uh, as someone who's played for over ten years and only throws forehand, what's the best way to try to develop a backhand? I mean just start doing it it's it doesn't have to be good uh at first i think you you know in your heart when you're forcing a forehand into a place where a backhand would be better and you just i think at a certain point you got to practice like the player you want to be not like the player you are today so you got to throw some backhands and and it's going to get it's going to be slow progress but if you're on a hole that's like man i just always throw a forehand here because i'm comfortable with it but i know it looks stupid just stop with that. And maybe you got to throw the forehand if the tournament's next week. Sure. All right. Stick with it. Try and do your best. But every practice round, just stop throwing forehands in those situations. Make yourself do it and you'll get better and better as you go and it'll become second nature. All right. There you go. Uh, Aaron James asks, what should I be focusing on when I'm staring at the basket during a putt. Now, what he should be focusing on is his new disc dot from disc.usa, but until he's able to get in there and use code run at 10, you said sometimes you'll just pick like a certain link right in the chain and you're staring that down. Sure. And I mean, visually focus is one thing, but I also think focusing on like having a swing thought can be important. Like, and that changes all the time for me. It's like whatever little component to my putt needs to be worked on right now. The way I've described it in the past is like, there's say, say there's like 40 things that you could be thinking about where you while you putt, whether it's like push with your back leg, make sure you explode with your wrist, make sure to follow through, whatever it is. I like to imagine all those things are riding in their own car on a Ferris wheel, going around and around and around. And whatever's at the bottom of the Ferris wheel this week is like, okay, drive with drive with that back leg. And I'll remember that and I'll work on that. And that, that works for a week or two. And then I don't have to think about it for two years because it's going around the Ferris wheel while something else comes in. But it's like impossible to stay perfect on everything all at the same time. So I would say for me, my experience with putting 
is like it's it's a constantly you know rotating cast of different thoughts that I might be using to key in on and say just this week all you got to do is remember to like look through the basket putt to the far side of the basket and when you're thinking about that it's working and it's just a big you know balancing act of of convincing yourself that you're good at it and and building this little building confidence you know and that's like something you have to put work into so for me, it's like focusing visually. Sure, that can change. It depends how far you are away. It depends on a lot of things. But focusing like mentally on what you're doing, that don't be afraid to let that be different things and experiment with what's working for you in a given a given week or, or month. So that's what's going on. That's why you're flipping that disc 35 times in your if hands. If I need 35, you... yeah. I, you know, as long as I'm under 30 seconds, I'll take as many as I can get. So do you think before a big putt, are you flipping the disc in your hands more times than Conrad is, uh, is, is fanning himself with his disc before a drive? Oh yeah. I'm so much faster with the flips. I can stack them up. No time at all. Right. It's unbelievable how fast you can go through those things. Um, (laughs) I was, but that's, that's one of the things I think when I watch you, when I watch you putt and I watch you line one up and, and you're kind of flipping that disc, I've always kind of wondered what exactly is going through your head? Um, so I guess now we know you've got a, a whole group of things that you're thinking about and, and that's what you're focusing on. Um, we've got a few more questions here we're going to get through. Um, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of cool things here. This is from Ben. One question that has been talked about a lot in the disc golf community lately, uh, maybe just in his circle, is does the Pro Tour need cuts? There are pros and cons to each. Some pros have been that it will create a better payout structure and reward the winner more. And some cons is that you'd be losing the local pros at each of the stops. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, as I understand it, you're talking about like a cut to the final day where, or is he, or you think he's talking more about like a tour card and you can't even register for the tournament unless you're of a certain class. You know, I guess, I guess I don't know when I read it, I'm thinking of like, you can't get into the tour unless you're at at a certain class that, that when I read it, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, sure. And I I mean, if you're either way, really, it's like that, that is the sport will get there eventually and already is there in some ways where there's you know ratings caps to register and as long as the tournaments are filling to capacity i think that's totally fine i don't think some local guy if his rating's too low he should be able to play if there's space for him sure but uh you know i think as more and more players um become you know touring level and and people are out there trying to make a living those tournaments will fill up um you know just with the the traveling guys and I think that's all right. There's there's tons of local tournaments, and you know if somebody gets good enough locally, they'll they'll get in there too. I'm looking at the next round of questions, and I feel like if I don't put one of uh, I feel like if I don't get one of Jeb's questions out, I'm just going to keep getting these emails. Don't you think? <laughs> Probably. Okay. Um, I, my favorite one, I think, is. Um, Sometimes when I observe dangerous scenarios outside of the disc golf course, I find myself yelling four out of habit. This frequently proves ineffective, and I've been on the witnessing end of more than my fair share of fender benders in parking lots, tall men banging their heads on low-hanging objects, and maybe a tiger mauling. If only Nate had started his podcast sooner. Now you know why I always told Roy to, to keep his bear spray close at hand. What are some alternative ways to warn others of danger that can be used both on and off the course? 
<laughs> and this is this is a guy I know, Jeb. He's sending in some questions. He's you, you're making his day by putting this in here, but I don't know that I'm an expert on this. I would say maybe you know a, a classic lookout probably couldn't hurt. I maybe honk a horn. You never know. I mean, you can keep trying for too. I know Jeb's a good guy. He's trying to save people, but you know sometimes you sometimes you can't get it done. You try your best. You know what? I feel like four is acceptable in in any scenario. Yeah, I mean, just just get loud. See if you see if you can make something happen. All right. So Josiah kind of asked a question that we already talked about a little bit. He's participating in his first winter league. Have you had any experience playing in a snow league? And if so, what are the most effective ways to perform your best in those conditions? And are there specific molds or plastics that you could recommend to people that are playing in these colder climates? Well, I've never lived anywhere with consistent snow. So I haven't I wouldn't say I've played in a snow league. I have certainly played in the snow. I would say that DX plastic can be nice. Uh something with a little added grip or like a R Pro or Nexus or DX, something like that is going to be nice in those kind of conditions if you can switch to something like that. And the other thing I would say is to go with flippier discs because in the cold with slippery footing, you're just not going to be able to get the power behind it that you wish you could and that you will be able to get on a on a dry or warm day. So when you're putting less speed on the disc, you need to flip your disc to get that S shape and get that flight you're looking for. So I would say for sure, disc down in those cold conditions just because you can't trust your feet. You can't get your full explosion that you're looking for. Yeah, that is that's accurate for guys like me, but I'm sure you caught Kevin Jones hitting that 530 foot ace after falling and, and cracking his knee in the, on the tee pad. That was like in September, I think. Yeah. Um, I just saw that video a few weeks ago. I don't know how it got past me. Um, but that's like one of the craziest things I've ever seen, man. Yeah. Across any sport. I mean, Kevin, Kevin goes hard. No question. I've seen him fall a couple times and he's definitely put some torque on the thing. And that wasn't snow related at all. That was just a little slip. And thankfully, he was all right, and he ended up throwing one of the most incredible shots any of us will ever see. Here's a question uh, from Chuck, and he was asking uh, about experiences playing with uh, with McBeast versus the Saki Bomb. Um, and have you ever been on a on a card with both of them at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, many times, I would think. Uh, and they're both amazing um, competitors and, and friends. So, yeah, uh, you know, just like anything. It, it can be tense at times. You know, I think that neither one of them would uh, have too much trouble with me saying that they're rivals and they've, you know, had their, their fair share of battles that have been really tense, but they respect each other. And they, you know, they both know that they're, they're coming up against one of the best when they, when they get a chance to play. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll sneak in there and beat both of them, hopefully. So, yeah, I've played with both of them at the same time lots of times. I've played with them individually a ton, especially Paul, because we traveled together for so long, played a lot of rounds together. But yeah, huge respect for both of those guys. And and yeah, they're they're dangerous, dangerous dudes out there on the course. Do you guys get tired of hearing Paul Macbeth's name all the time? Nah, it's cool. I, I, and I know he's your, I know he's a buddy of yours, yeah. and, and obviously you, you you know you've always said great things about him. And in fact, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a whole episode kind of dedicated to the time that you spent traveling around and, and playing with him. But um, I mean, he's just he's just always right there. It's, it's got to get aggravating. <laughs> I I've I've never been too aggravated. I mean, sure, you know, I, I've told him to shut up before. After, you know, after maybe he got a big win or something, it's like, all right, man, yeah, I get it. I see the trophy right there. Like, let's let's talk about <laughs> next week now. Not last week's done. 
but yeah, he's amazing. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not sick of the guy. I'm, I, I wish him the best. I, you know, I wish him second place. Any tournament I'm playing, I hope he gets <laughs> second place. Oh, that is super swell of you. You really are a nice guy, Nate. It's, it's true. <laughs> I hope it, they it's all true tie. They say. I hope they all tie for second. If I'm playing. Did- all of them. Let them all tie for second. I love those guys. You really are the bestest. <laughs> um, so I got a fun question here, and uh, it kind of takes us out of the world of disc golf for a second. Um, what are you watching on TV? You binging anything? Do you and the wife have a show that you, you have a guilty pleasure? What's What's Nate Sexton doing when he's not taking care of his daughter or playing disc golf? Oh, I mean, we've seen all the shows. I don't know. We're always looking for that next one. Right now we're on... Um... A net the netflix version of like lost in space like danger will robinson like whatever that was at first i don't know if it was a movie or a show back in the day but we've been watching that it's all right we're like in the second season um we watched that uh my wife and i we enjoyed that um uh queen's gambit thing that everybody's watching the chess one that was a cool little series uh but yeah you know game of thrones we watched all that you know we're 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 out here binging for sure I just finished Cobra Kai like a, a few days ago. Have you watched that one yet? I haven't. No. Is, would you recommend it? I, I don't I don't know how to explain it because I was just talking to my dad about it. And he, he said, so, you know, what do you think of Cobra Kai? I said, the show is awful, but I can't stop <laughs> watching it. I can't stop. It's, it's just all this karate, you know, and then my 11-year-old walks by and I'm just like, let's go, kid. We're, you know, let's do, I'm showing you the crane kick right now. You're going to be the next <laughs> Daniel LaRusso. And, uh... Yeah, I, I binged watch two seasons in like, I, I don't know, six days. And when it was finished, I was like, I can't even believe what I just did. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I, it's one of those things I got to warn you, man, you know, turn it on. You're going to start watching the first episode and you're going to go, wow, this is so cheesy and so awful. And then the next thing you know, you're going to be 11 episodes in. And, uh, and that's kind of how it goes up. Well, I guess, are you a Karate Kid fan? Did you, did you like the Karate Kid movies growing up? No, I, I don't know. I don't know that I've even seen him, to be totally honest with you. What I just mean, happened? I don't You'd... know, man. I just, it's like, I don't know. You're a little Ninja, you're... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Bring it on. Yeah. I, I'm definitely watching those, but I don't know that I saw Karate Kid. Yeah, you know what? You're probably a little young for the Karate Kid. Uh, you're 35, right? Yeah, I am. I'm I'm 37 now. Right, so we're about the same age. I don't know how I ended I up watching the Karate I guess Kid. I just missed it. I don't know. Maybe I need to get back in the in the vault and find it. I don't know. Well, Nate, uh, I think we, we had a, a lot of fun talking about your amateur career, finding out a little bit about how you got started and uh, and how you eased your way from you know going camping with, with the family and playing in some amateur tournaments to being one of the best players in the world and that's got to be something that's still crazy for you to hear to this day right like you're one of the best players in the world yeah it's cool man and yeah definitely uh just just set out to have some fun right i mean i remember going to tournament and and sleeping sleeping in the back like in the bed of my little like mitsubishi pickup truck and just uh you know being 19 and and having fun and yeah you know it's it's led me here and uh i got no regrets it's it's been awesome obviously with the popularity of the sport um and having so many more eyes on it we're just going to keep getting these uh watching these tournaments grow and watching the amateurs come out and i mean you look at some of the younger kids that are coming into the tour right now i say younger kids but you know early 20s but guys like ab and um you know calvin i mean these are younger guys and they're just playing at 
you know, a, a crazy level at, yeah. at times. Yeah. Um, is that something that you think we're going to start seeing a whole lot more of? And are you looking at it thinking, wow, the competition is just going to keep growing here? Oh, yeah. No question. And in, in they definitely some of them are teenagers, for sure. There's, those guys are coming and lots more of them. And once COVID goes away and you get a chance to see some of these Finnish guys play, there's some young Finnish guys that are out of this world. Oscari Vikstrom and and a bunch of other guys. So like, watch out. There are so many good young players. It doesn't take long for a couple of those guys to be world class. I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, we uh, we're certainly looking forward to to COVID settling down and and everything getting back to normal in, in the disc golf community, so the fans can get out there and watch you guys play, and uh, and things can just kind of open up. And I know you're you're looking forward to 2021, and uh, I think at this point we're all just kind of waiting for this 2021 to kick in, so we could put 2020 behind us, um, and, and really just kind of kind of get going full speed with 2021. Nate, I had a lot of fun talking about your amateur career. I had a lot of fun here about uh, some of the stories and I think that we covered a lot of fun topics anything else we missed from your amateur career anything that that you wanted to point out that we didn't touch on man I mean I'm sure we missed a lot but that's all right nothing I nothing I jumping out at me I mean it's fun going down memory lane a little bit it's been a while since I thought about any of those tournaments you got me wanting to go pull up my stats page and and, uh, and remember some of those uh, early years you're getting you're gonna get right up and head right over to the closet and you're gonna pull out a full uh, a few Valkyries, I think. Yeah, let's go. And, uh, right to the practice field for me. To grab a few of those a few of those Valkyries out. And guys, we hope you're enjoying what we're doing here. Remember, running it with Nate Sexton comes to you guys free each week with help from our sponsors. So shout out, thank you to the folks over at Fisher Disc Golf. Remember to visit FisherDiscgolf.com and use code RUNIT. 10 to save 10% off of your first purchase. And the folks at Fisher Disc Golf is making it even easier this holiday season with free shipping on your orders. Again, FisherDiscGolf.com, use code RUNIT10. And I can't forget about our friends over at Disc.USA. Visit Disc.USA.com. And like Nate said, we're making it easy. Code RUNIT10 will also save you 10% there. And you guys get your first order of dots in the mail and you can start zoning in those putts. Special thank you to our sponsors. Really appreciate you guys. And I can't forget our friends over at LNJ Sessions. That's Late Night Jam Sessions. You can check them out, LNJ Sessions on Facebook. They helped us out with our intro song and a few other projects we got coming for you guys. So thanks to my buddies Kevin and Chris with LNJ Sessions. Check them out on Facebook and give them a follow. Well, Nate, I had an awesome time today, and I hope we answered some of the fans' questions. Now, hey, if we missed anything from the amateur career or questions that the fans want to get to, they know how to get a hold of us. Uh, at Gmail, it's runningitpodcast at gmail.com. Nate is on Instagram at frisbeenate. You can follow his fan page on Facebook, Nate Sexton. I am Jared Orr, and our Facebook page is Running It with Nate Sexton. Until next time, guys, when everyone else is laying it up, we're running it. We'll see you guys next time.